Well, good evening, everyone. We appreciate you being in the Lord's house tonight. It's good to be back and hope you brought a coat. I'm about to freeze. If I'd have worn my jacket, I'd have felt a lot better. But uh, thank God for air conditioning, okay? Someone asked me a couple of weeks ago if I would sing. And I don't see them here tonight. So I'm going to sing anyway. <laughs> this song talks about the love of God. As a matter of fact, that's the title of it. Uh, an old song that uh, it just has a wonderful message in it. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. When years of time shall pass away and earthly thrones and kingdoms fall, when men who hear refuse to pray on rocks and hills and mountains call, God's love so sure shall still endure all measureless and strong. Redeeming grace to Adam's race the saints and angels' songs. O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' songs. This last verse, according to a hymn book that I've got at home, has a note down at the bottom of the page, and it says this last verse was found scrawled, uh, scrawled on the wall of an insane asylum by a man who was said to be insane. But listen to it. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man ascribed by tribe to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' songs.
If you take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 5 tonight, we're going to uh, pick up where we left off this morning. Uh, to be honest with you, I had studied just to preach those verses out of chapter 4, and then I was going to quit and preach out of chapter 5 tonight. But the Lord just said, go ahead and tell them about Ananias and Sapphira. It all fell right in there, didn't it? But uh, so I had to go home and start studying afresh because I'd preached both sermons this morning. <laughs> didn't, didn't intend to do that, but anyway, that's okay. In uh, Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, if you'd like to stand with us for the reading of the Word of God, if you're not able to do that, that's fine. Just keep your seat. Verse 12 says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest, thus no man joined himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers were more added to the Lord, multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about into Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. Pray with me, please. Thank you, Father, for this day that you've given us. Thank you for your love and your mercy that you have bestowed upon us. And we ask you, Father, that, Lord, your Holy Spirit will just guide us and direct us tonight. Just uh, give us the words that you would have us to say to your people. And, Lord, we pray that you will be glorified and you'll be magnified. And, Father, if there's one within the sound of our voice tonight that does not know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that this would be that good time, Lord, that you would touch their heart and just open it, Lord, that they might receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. Thank you for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated, please. I want, to, I want to share with you tonight about the power of a holy church. The church has been birthed, come into being, has grown by leaps and bounds. Now thousands of people are attending the services there. Peter and, uh, was, had been, has become the main spokesman for the crowd and we saw this morning where, well, saw last Sunday, where they prayed that God would do signs and wonders. They were praying and asking God to do things that people could see so that they could glorify God and come and get right with Him. And this is kind of the theme of chapter 4 and chapter 5, those signs and wonders. These are, as I said, these are things that only God can do. Now, He may do them through someone, but it's still God doing this. And we find that very thing there in verse 12. It says, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. So God is working through the apostles. That many signs that, that, and wonders was there. 
God was using these apostles like they had never been used before. They had been in training up until this time. They had seen Jesus do uh, signs and wonders in other places. They had saw him walk on the water. They had saw him uh, stop the storm out on the sea. They had been where he'd healed people, where he'd even raised people from the dead. But it was Jesus in person that was doing that. Now it's Jesus working through his apostles. And he still works through his people today. We, we sometimes want to read this and say, well, that's, that's old, old school stuff that God doesn't do that anymore. But he does. The problem is we just don't trust him. We just don't believe him enough to allow him to use us in those kind of ways. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. Not just a few, but many. As they continued to, to preach the gospel, as they continued to share uh, with others, and uh, God was working through them. And it's wonderful that, that God can still use his people today. He can use you. He can use me. He can use anyone who is sold out to him. God may use you in ways that, that you don't even realize as you witness to other people and as you minister to people down through life's pathway. And he may just be working a work in their life that, that you're not aware of, but yet God is aware of. Someone told you about Jesus. Someone told you how to be saved. And we can tell other people. And it's the Lord working through us. And, uh, and, and God works in that person's heart. And he brings them to that place of repentance. And this is what was happening here. God was just using these, these apostles. And it says many signs and wonders were wrought among the people. And notice what else it says. And they were all with one accord. This is a, a theme that we keep hitting on here. That they were all with one accord. They were united in their purpose. They were working together for the glory of God. And that's always commendable for any church. And I let me commend you as a church for uh, the, the great unity that you have shown here in the past few months. How that God is blessed and, uh, and because of that. And the, the vote for your new pastor is it was almost 100%, just as close as you could get to 100% without it being 100%. And that's unity. And that, that speaks well of you. And thank God for that. God is the one that brings that unity. It's pleasing to God when His church is in unity. The Bible says over in Psalms 133, how, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. talks about it being like the ointment that was poured upon Aaron's head and it ran down on his beard and down onto his garments when he was ordained there in the tabernacle. That sweet ointment that was put on him. And, and the, the Bible likens that to... Uh, that anointing oil when there's unity among the body of Christ. And, you know, it's not just unity of a one particular group of people, but uh, here they had people from different countries and all, and there was unity among them. And there should be unity here in Etowah among the churches. And I, I'm glad that, that the, the Ministerial Association here promotes that among the churches and gets the churches together a couple of times a year to worship together. That's wonderful and it's good. We need more of it because as we uh, join together with other brothers and sisters in Christ, it says something to the lost world out here. 
It says that we can work together. And that's, that's something that we ought to always give a, a, an opportunity to work together. Some of the best revivals I've ever been in is when churches came together and had revival. And I, I remember one when we had, when I was out at Mount Pisgah, that they were five different churches there and we came together, we'd go to a different church building each night and there'd be a different preacher preach each night and we just had a wonderful time, man. It, it just uh, people getting saved and it, it revived all of those churches. And it, uh, but it was more than that. It was the unity of working together. And they wasn't all Baptist churches either. There was a, a Nazarene church, there was a church of God, and I think there was even a Methodist church in that group. But we, we were working together for the glory of God. God wants His church to be united. There was public worship. Notice where they were worshiping. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Now, I made mention of that the other, the other day about Solomon's porch. That's on the south side of the temple. It's there where that Peter probably preached his first message. It's there where they baptized people. I always wondered where did they baptize those 3,000 people? Because Jerusalem sits up on a mountain. And it's quite a ways to a, a, a river or something of that sort. But there's these pools out there, right out from Solomon's porch. They were bathing pools. When the people came in, they'd walked and come, and they, they were dirty from the road grit and so on and so forth, and they had to bathe before they could enter the temple. And it was in those pools, no doubt, where they held the baptismal services. And it was there in this Solomon's porch, and you see that is a wide open place. There was people coming and going. There, there were probably at least 5,000 of them that were gathered there as the church. But there were other people. There were many Jews that were going and coming through the temple and going in and out of there. And they were hearing a lot that was going on, but they were there in Solomon's porch, out in the open, out in public. I heard someone shared one day about how this church used to go out in the parking lot on Sunday nights and have service out there. That's wonderful. Get you outside the building. People, uh, people sometimes are afraid to come into a building. I, I think I shared with you uh, when I was at Cedar Fork Church that we had a two-week revival in a tent out in the cemetery. And there was people that came that would never darken the doors of our church building, but they'd come. They'd sit out there in their car sometimes and smoke their cigarettes, but they were still hearing the gospel. Some of them even got saved. And that's, that's wonderful. But they were out in public worship. But notice verse 13. This, this verse is a little bit hard to understand, at least the way King James has it. And of the rest does no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. Now, I, I tried to look that little word up and to see what it meant. But it's talking about Jews that were coming by and, and maybe even some Gentiles because Solomon's porch was out in the court of the Gentiles. There could be Gentiles in there. They were coming by. These people are over here worshiping God. There's things going on there. They're in one accord and, and the Spirit of God is working in their lives and there's other people coming by but they didn't dare 
join in with them. You see, God's people has always been a separate people. Bible tells us to come apart, to be separate. That don't mean that we can't visit the lost. It doesn't mean that we can't talk with the lost. It doesn't mean that we can't invite the lost into the house of God. But God's people are separate. He saves us and he sets us apart for his use. We're, we're a different group of people. And there was people there that, that wouldn't join in with them. They were afraid. They saw probably what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. They had saw those two funerals that took place there. They were kind of afraid to join him. But notice what the rest of that verse says. But the people magnified them. Talking about the apostles. The people, the congregation of the church magnified the apostles. They lifted them up. They helped them. They, they talked well about them and they, they gave praise no doubt and, and were helping these apostles. I would warn anybody against speaking against God's people in a mean way. When you're doing that, you're speaking about someone who belongs to the Lord. And that's offensive to God. But they didn't, they didn't join in, but the people were magnifying these apostles. And notice verse 14. This, this gets exciting. And believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes, both of men and women. Now there's people today say that if you preach the gospel, people won't come to hear it. I'll tell you this, when God gets in the crowd, when God gets in charge, when God gets to doing it His way, it draws people. Multitudes come. Billy Graham has probably been the most powerful preacher of our day. Most one that I know of. Billy Graham never sugarcoated the gospel. He always preached it straight. He always preached it true. And there were thousands that came to every crusade that he had. I'll guarantee you that you can get out here and begin to talk to people and you'll find some people that were saved during a Billy Graham crusade or maybe even watching one at home on TV and God convicted them. Our son, Tim, we were watching Billy Graham one night on TV. It was right before Christmas. It was a, one of his Christmas messages. And our son was watching that. I got up and went in the kitchen to get me a drink of water or something and looked around and there's Tim standing behind me. About seven years old, something like that. And he looked up at me and he said, Daddy, said, God said that I can be saved. I said, son, are you telling me that God has spoken to you and you want to be saved? He said, yes, Daddy. I said, I've been listening to Billy Graham. But we just prayed and he asked Jesus to come into his heart and into his life. 
few weeks later, I got the opportunity to baptize him. But you see, God was using Billy Graham. And this man boldly preached the gospel. He went into the, the, the palaces of kings and, and, and uh, the high ups in the world. Every president that served under his uh, time, Billy Graham would go to the White House and sit and witness to them. I've heard that he led John F. Kennedy to the Lord just a few weeks before he was uh, shot and killed. What was happening here? It says the believers were more added to the Lord. Notice it didn't say they were added to the church. They were added to the Lord. That's what happens when you get saved. You become one of the Lord's children. You can be a member of a church and not be saved. I'm proof of that. I was a member of a church about 10 years before I ever got saved. But when I got saved, I got in the church for sure then. They were, the more were added to the Lord. Multitudes. This congregation just continued to grow and grow. Multitudes, men and women. Now, the Lord was being magnified so much here. Look at verse 15. In so much that they, speaking of the people in the congregation, the people out there, they brought forth the sick into the streets. Think about that. They went home and got their sick folks, brought them into the streets of Jerusalem. Why? laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There was people being healed. God was at work doing great things. They bring their sick folks downtown there in Jerusalem, laying them out there on cots in the street, hoping that Peter would come by and just his shadow would fall over them. And they were just trusting that God was going to heal those people. And it says in verse 16, there came also a multitude out of the city round about unto Jerusalem. Word got out, you see. No, it wasn't on TV. There were no TVs in those days. There wasn't even radio. There wasn't even telephones. You had to tell somebody else. But word traveled. People heard about it out here in the outlying villages all around Jerusalem. They began to bring their sick folks. Bringing sick folks. And them which were vexed with unclean spirits. They brought some demon-possessed people to Jesus. And I'll tell you, there's no better place to take a demon-possessed person than to Jesus. And somebody's going to say, well, we don't have that today. Oh, yes, we do. We just, we just deny it. There's lots of people running around here that are demon-possessed. They're under the power of Satan. Many of them are addicted on first one thing and then another. And they don't know what will break that addiction. 
They don't know who it is that has them addicted. They brought sick folks, those who were vexed or troubled with unclean spirits. And notice what it says, and they were healed, every one. Who did that? It was God who did it. It wasn't Peter. Yes, Peter was preaching the word of God. Peter was the main spokesperson. But it was God at work. And somebody's going to ask the question, does God still do those kind of things? Yes, he does. We don't see it so much here in America because we have become so highly educated that we've educated God out of it. And we've said we are able to do it ourselves. But you go into some of these foreign countries. You go to places where they're hungry for the gospel. And you'll see God at work doing things like this in people's lives. I saw it down in Nicaragua. I saw it in Haiti. I saw it in Brazil. I saw it in Ukraine where God is at work, where God just does miraculous things in people's lives. God is not dead. He's not even sick. He's alive and well. And I, I think it would be good for us to start praying the prayer that the apostles prayed, that God would stretch forth his hand and heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of the holy child Jesus. As I studied this, I asked myself, have I ever really prayed and asked God to do that? And I had to admit, no, I haven't. Oh yes, there's been some times when I've asked him to heal someone. But this was a prayer that they were asking God to just show up and, and prove to the world who he is. Prove to the world that he's not only the Savior, but he's the healer. That he's God and he's able to do these kind of things. Yes, I've prayed and asked God to help me speak the word with boldness. And yes, he does that. But I, I wonder if, it, if we as the church would really get down to earnest business with God and begin to pray prayers like that where we expect God to do something. Where we expect God to show up in the services. Where we expect God to bring lost people, where we expect God to change people's lives, where we expect God to heal those that are sick. And really pray it, and really mean it, and really believe it, that God is still able to do that kind of thing. I'm just going to ask you tonight if you'd like to come and kneel here at the altar and let's just pray. And if we can find the faith to reach out to God and ask Him
in a bold way. But before we do that, we're going to ask uh, Ron to come with the hymn of invitation. There may be someone that God has spoken to your heart that you need to respond personally. Trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Follow Him in baptism, whatever, whatever God said to you. Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege to be in your house tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Father, for what we can read in the Word of God, what you were doing in the lives of people. And you said, I am God, I change not. You're still the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're still the mighty God who can do great things. And Father, help us, give us the faith, Lord, to ask you for the things that we would have you to do. And Lord, to believe that you can and will do them. Now, Father, in this invitation time, if there's someone that needs to respond personally, help them to come tonight and surrender to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.